All right, John's gospel. I know you expected me to say Mark. We've been going through Mark together all year. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, he's the last one. And then John. Now John is not one of the synoptic gospels. That word synoptic, you hear optic in there. And S-Y-N-C, sync, like to sync up. Um, it literally is a Latin word that means to see together. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all looking at very specific um, occurrences in the life of Jesus, and they're seeing it from one vantage point. And they, they write about the same things for the most part. John's not in there. While Mark is the first gospel ever written, the first narrative account of the life of Jesus and who he was, and remember Mark's whole point was the identity of Jesus, that he wanted his people to understand who that was, who Jesus is, and how that the people that he's writing about didn't get his identity. They would get flashes of it and understand a little bit, but it isn't until uh, really the, the resurrection that it starts to make sense to them. Uh, but John is different. John's gospel is written quite a bit later than the first three. So this one goes, this one, this one is uh, newer than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which were all written about the same time, very close together. This is written 30-some years later. And John's goal is clear. It is to, he, he does not write to one specific group of people like Mark did. Mark was writing to the Roman church which is predominantly Gentiles. He even has, that's why there's a lot of actual Latin words in Mark because the people that read that would be Latin speakers in Rome. They would understand it. Um, John writes to everybody. He's got a universal audience. He's got one goal. And that one goal is for you to understand that Jesus is the one and only Son of God and that by believing you will have eternal life in his name. That's John's goal. So with that in mind, if you're at John chapter 1, let's begin in verse 1 and we'll read down um, through verse 18. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, by the Word. And without him, the word, nothing was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And notice the change in tense. This is present now. And the light, doesn't say shined in darkness. What does it say? Still shining, isn't it? And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it, and that means it, it did not put it out. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the baptizer. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of that light, that all men, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world. 
The world was made through him. Look at this. And the world did not know him. Gets worse. Verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and this is the key verse I'm gonna, we're going to unpack today. And this word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I spoke. He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, look at this, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And here in verse 18, John concludes his introductory remarks as he sets the table for, what, for the deity of Jesus that he will write about. He says this, no one has seen God at any time. Look at these words. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Wow. Some years ago, uh, Larry King was interviewed. Now, he's known as a great interviewer, but he was actually interviewed. And in this interview, he was asked... If you could interview yourself, one person in history, who would you want to interview? And with, with no reflection whatsoever, King immediately said, Jesus Christ, I would, I would want to inter interview Jesus. Which surprised his interviewer a little bit. And he asked him why. And King went on to say, I would ask him whether or not he really was virgin born. If so... King replied, that is the one event that defines all of human history. So I'll answer Larry today. <laughs> Jesus' birth is the defining event in all of human history, past, present, and future. It changed everything. He was more than just a baby. The infinite be became an infant have you ever stopped to think that that night, that cool night in Bethlehem, as the shepherds looked down into that manger, that it was the first time in human history, the first time ever, that earth looked down into heaven? Selah. Imagine that. That a baby, a baby, an infant, is the Son of God in the flesh. It's called incarnation. Uh, it comes from two Latin words. In means in. See, y'all know Latin. And carne or carere, which means flesh. It literally is the enfleshment. 
of God. John's message is clear why he writes. He says in his epistle, the end of 1 John 5, verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And look at this. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, each of these gospel writers dealt in some measure with the origins of Jesus in some form. And, and how they dealt with it was highly based on their audience, who they were writing to, and the reason they were writing. So Matthew, Matthew doesn't get any further than Abraham as he opens up with the genealogy of Jesus. Now we know Mark. Mark writes to a predominantly Gentile Roman church and he, he, he doesn't get any farther back than Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. That's all the further back John goes with the origin. And Luke gets as far back as King David, not even as far back as, as Matthew gets. However, we get to John. And as the old preacher said, he goes back before back. John goes back before there was a when or a there or a then or a there. John goes all the way back. And he declares in John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. And verse 18, as I said, is the conclusion of this introduction. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. The word of God is God himself. Verse 14, who is this word that became flesh? Who is he? God came to earth as a man so that we could go to heaven as children of God. As R.C. Sproul put it, I'm, I said it last week, the son of God became a man in order that men might become the sons of God. And I will tell you this, and to Larry King today, John chapter 1 and verse 14 is the definitive statement of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to take a look at this defining history of the incarnation in two acts, if you will. It comes right out of the text of verse 14. First, we're going to look at the mystery of the incarnation. And then lastly, we're going to look at the majesty of the incarnation. So first, let's take a look for a moment at the mystery of the incarnation. We go down to verse 10 for the first part of that. Look at verse 10, John chapter 1 and verse 10. John just finishes telling us that, that Jesus made everything. The Word makes everything. And, 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 if, and if it exists, the Word made it. Now look what he says. This is, this is crazy in verse 10. He was in the world. God wrote himself into human history. He was in the world. Look at this. And the world was made through him. So, 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 so look at it. He, he was in the world that he made. The creator joined the creation. But look at the result. And the world did not know him. How many of you know that's still true today in many facets, huh? 
I have no doubt in my mind, having done this for as long as I have, that there are people sitting in this room right now that that is you. You may know about the Word, but you don't know the Word as your Lord and your Savior and your King today. Amen? Here's the other part of the mystery. It does not get better. It gets a little bit worse. This is the bad news, but I got good news coming, so hang in there. Look, look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. So now he goes to a specific subset of his creation, his own people, the Jewish people, who, by the way, at this time in history, were crying out for the Messiah to show up. You know what the, you know what the most popular name for boys was when Jesus was born? Jesus, which means Savior or Rescuer. They were literally naming their sons Jesus as a prayer in an act of faith that Jehovah would send the Messiah to the end that they would get out from underneath the boot of Rome. Their vision was very earthly. Look what happens in verse, 12, uh, verse 11. He, he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. His, his own people didn't want anything to do with him. It's a mystery. Doesn't make sense. We're, we're seeing that in Mark as our journey through. We're, we're, we're just cracked chapter 9. Man, this starts out, Jesus is having massive campaigns and crusades, right? And every time a big crowd comes, Jesus leaves. And then he starts saying the hard things and people start walking away. His own people rejected him. But here's the good news. There is some good news. And the good news is in verse 12 and 13, look what the scriptures say. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, so it's not a Jewish thing, it's not a lineage thing, nor of the will of the flesh. By the way, how many of you know your flesh will never choose God? I, I, I like what uh, John Piper said. He said, God didn't, I'm so thankful that God chose me because I'd have never chosen him. Not of, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It wasn't your inside either. Look at this, but of God. How many of you are glad that God, that God has chosen his people? So there's the good news. There's the good news. All who believe and receive Jesus become born again children of Almighty God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that good news this morning? That's the best news ever. But there, this begs another question. What gives this Jesus the right to transform sinners into saints. What, what, what is it about this Jesus that make, gives him the right to take a sinner and turn him into a saint? That's a good question. Notice in John 1.1, it says, in the beginning. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Is that repeated somewhere else? Right at the very beginning, right? That's the same words of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we see here, I've titled this series, The Theology of Christmas. Let me throw some theology at you. You might want to jot it down. It won't be on the screen, but right fast. Here it is. In the beginning was the Word. That tells us that the Word is God eternally. The Word is co-eternal with God. He was in the beginning with God. He existed before anything else did. Then we see, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was 
with God. We see here that the word is God equally. He is co-equal with God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And here we see that the word was God essentially. He is co-essential with God himself. As I said last week in my study of this, a better translation of that last part is, as God was, so was the word. Isn't that powerful? Same essence. So he's, he is God eternally. He is God equally. He is God essentially. And what's the proof? The proof is verses two and three. He's the co-creator of the universe. He made everything. And if it's made, Jesus made it. The word made it. Only God can do that. So we see some, some beautiful truth here. But then after the proof is a problem, the problem's people. This is why his people rejected him. The rabbis wouldn't have had a problem with the first part of this. The rabbis had a big problem with verse 14 because it made the word equal to God. And in the mind of a good Jewish rabbi, no human being can be equal with God. And we're going to see next year in Mark, that was the big problem, and that was the charge they nailed him on, literally nailed him to the tree. Uh, the Greek philosophers would have rejected Jesus because no God would ever become flesh. No God in, a, in the mind of a good Greek thinker would ever willingly take on human flesh and besmirch his dignity. And then that word became is an important word. The word became or was made flesh. Do you realize that at conception a new life is begun? We saw that very much displayed this morning. Sometimes it's two new lives. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that new life has a definite beginning. And here's what we know too is that all people live forever somewhere. But we all have a definite starting point. My starting point was April 7th. 1967. Um, and we will all live forever after we die. No one ever existed before they existed. Another way to say that is, is you didn't exist before you were conceived. Does that make sense? No one existed before they were born. Ah, uh, except Jesus, except the Word. Think about that. The Word existed before he was born. The word existed before he was begotten in the womb of Mary. Listen here, he was younger than his mama, but he was old as his daddy at the same time. Yeah, that is a wow. That's a Selah moment. Stop and think about that one. He was all God and all man at the same time. Jesus was the word before he became flesh. And he continued to be the word after he became flesh. And think about it this way. The eternal word and the historical Jesus are one and the same person. Do you get that? The eternal word and the historical person of Jesus are the same person. And then there's that word flesh. And the word became flesh. Now, when you think of flesh, I know I do it. I think of my fallenness, right? Here's how we need to think of it in relation to Jesus. 
when it says the word became flesh, he took on our weaknesses. He became weak. He took on limitations. The word handicapped himself by taking on human flesh like you and I. Think about this. Jesus nursed at the breast of the woman that he created. If you got your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Here's what the Bible says. For we do not have a high priest who is not, cannot sympathize with our what? Weaknesses, there it is. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then verse 16 says this, Let us therefore come how? Boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. He gets us so that we could get him. Isn't that amazing? This is an incredible thought. The Son of God dwelt among us. Now, did God ever show up in, 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 a, in some type of a physical form in the Old Testament? Sure. Uh, he showed up in a cloud, right? In the daytime, he showed up in a pillar of fire. And sometimes he shows up as the angel of the Lord. When you see that, it's what, what theologians call a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnate, a pre-Bethlehem form of Jesus, the Son of God. But here's the thing. All of these appearances, physical appearances in the Old Testament, first of all, they were unique. Secondly, not only were they unique, they were all supernatural. That was God suspending his own rules and showing up and showing out, right? But catch this, don't miss it, they were also temporary. They did not last. It was just a little time. Now, Soren Kierkegaard, who, who was right about some things and wrong about a lot of things, but he was right here. He, he, he tells us, a, a, gives us, I think, a helpful analogy. He tells the story, if you will, of, of a very wealthy king who, as he was going down the road in his royal chariot, noticed in a field off in the distance a beautiful peasant woman. And he fell madly, inextricably in love with her. But now he has a problem. Because he could force her. He could tell her, I'm the king. But he knows that you can't compel true love. He could lavish her with gifts. He could send his people over there and just cover her up in gifts. But this king knows that you cannot buy true love. So you know what he does? He goes back to his palace. He takes off his kingly garments, sets his crown aside, and he puts on the apparel of a peasant. And he goes out into that field and he begins working side by side with this woman. And through that work, it led to a conversation. Conversation led to a relationship. And that relationship ultimately over time resulted in true love. A love so deep that it doesn't matter that he's a poor peasant. She doesn't care. She loves him no matter what. And it's only then 
Think about it. It's only then that this king can reveal to her his true identity. Because she loves him not for who he is. She loves him not for what he owns. She loves him for him. And isn't that what God did for us? He took off his glorious, righteous robes of heaven, set aside his kingly crown, and he donned the rags of filthy humanity, and he walked in that weakness. He walked next to us in order to prove his love for us and his obedience to the Father. That's the mystery of the incarnation, but, but let, let me show you for a minute here the majesty of the incarnation, the majesty of the incarnation. And, and jot this down, this reference. Go look it up this week. Exodus 33, 18, one of my favorite historical accounts is because it's when Moses says to God, you know, Moses had a terrible job. <laughs> he really did. Uh, trying, to, trying to move five million Jews in the wilderness. That's a rough gig, right? And he needs some help. And what Moses needs is encouragement. And he finally just works up the courage and he says to God, he said, God, just let me see your, let me see your glory. Just, 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 just let, me, let me see. I, I need, if I could just see your glory, I think I can make it. I think I can keep, I think I can, I think I can punch into work tomorrow. Let me see your glory. And you, and you know what happens. God says, no, I can't do that. It'll kill you. You can't look on my glory. No one can, can look at me and see my glory and live. But here's what I will do for you. I'm going to tuck you in this crack in the rock and I'm going to cover you and I'm going to pass by. And once I get by, I'm, I'll, I'll uncover and I'll let, I'll let you see the remnants of my glory from the back. And it changed him forever. Let me tell you something. There's an emptiness in all of us today. Listen, listen I, I want you to catch this if you catch nothing else. There's an emptiness in all of us today and, and it is this. Every human being is yearning for something. And I'm going to put my finger right on what it is. Are you ready? Every one of us is yearning for the glory of God. You sit here and say, well, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. And you know what? You're chasing it. You're chasing the glory of God through created things. The great theologian songwriter wrote, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> and we're doing it. Let me tell you something. Sex can't fill it. Money can't satisfy it. And fame can't satiate it. And you look for it in all those places. And I'll say this. Video games won't cut it. Won't cut it. That, it, that is fake dominion from which comes glory. Celebrities will leave us lacking. Nothing can fill the God-shaped hole in our souls because it's too big, it's too deep, it's too wide, and it's too high to be filled with anything else but the glory of an almighty, eternal, creator, God. But here's the problem. In our sinful state, we can't experience the glory of God even though we must have it. We're all chasing it. Do you see the problem here? Oh, but when, when this hit me, Listen, that night in Bethlehem, God answered Moses' prayer. God answered that man's prayer when those shepherds looked down into the face of God himself and lived. They saw 
his glory. John, John would say that in, in, in verse 14, and we beheld his glory. John saw glimpses of Jesus' glory in the miracles. He saw him say to the wind and waves, peace, and you be still. And it was calm as glass. He saw the moral glory of God in the way that Jesus lived. And John got a sneak peek into the true glory of Jesus at the transfiguration. We just went over that. You can look that sermon up on the podcast. It's called The Voice of Ignorance. Right? When Jesus pulls back the veil of the flesh and they see him for who he is and he says he's shown brighter than the sun itself. John said, we saw that. We saw it. We were there. Now you might not have John's vantage point, but as a disciple and follower of Jesus, you sure are able to share John's testimony, amen? First Peter, jot it down, one, verses eight and nine. First Peter one, eight and nine. Here's what the word says. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice, look at this, with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We see that glory through faith. We experience it, not like John, but we experience it. And oh, those few of you that have, can you give me a witness today? Does it not satisfy that hole in your heart? It does, and it transforms you forever. And the question is today for all of us, what do you see when you look upon Jesus today? What do you behold? You say, I don't see any glory. Then you ain't saved. I don't see anything special, then you don't know him. You see some ghetto carpenter turned upstart rabbi and want to be Messiah? You need to look again. You, you need to see Jesus himself. To see Jesus is to gaze upon his glory. Jesus is the only Son of God. The Bible says it right there in verse 14. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of God. He's the only one. Now the Bible teaches us here that God is a trinity. God is one in essence, but He is three in persons. That's, that, and that's a difficult thing to understand, so God gave us a picture of it. And he revealed this truth through his only son, Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus call God? Yeah, he called him Father. Don't miss this. He called him Father. Not you and I. That's why when he told his disciples how to pray, and he said, pray this way, our... How could they pray our Father? Listen, this is good. The only way you can call him Father is if you can call Jesus king. The only way you can call God father is if you can call Jesus your elder brother. The only way you can call God and refer to him as father is if Jesus is your Lord and your rescuer. Amen? In Jesus, we call God father. The father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that name means? I'm going to translate that in English for us today. He is our master, king, 
rescuer. That's what Lord Jesus Christ means. He's the master. He owns us lock, stock, and barrel. He paid for us with his precious blood. He is the king, and don't you ever doubt it. He is there to subdue our rebellion and draw us to himself. And he is our rescuer. He rescues us from the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I, and from our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and who else, church? The devil. I talked about that last week. He came to defeat the works of Satan. The story of Jesus is the glory of the one and only Son of God, the only begotten. Verse 18 refers to Jesus as the only Son of God. John 3.16 refers to him as the only begotten Son. And then in chapter 3 and verse 18, listen to these words. He who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already, listen, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He's the only one, the only Son of God, and there's nobody else like Jesus. He's the one and only, wholly unique. No one was born like him. No one lived like him. No one spoke like him. No one worked like him. No one died like him. No one got up like him. And brothers and sisters, no one's coming back like him. He is the one and only. Man, I miss Brother Willie. I'll tell you what, if I can't get a witness, I brought my own today. And here it is. Remember, do you remember back in Mark when, when, when John is out there baptizing? That's kind of how Mark opens up. He's out there baptizing. John's got this long line of sinners and he's telling them, y'all better get your hearts right because the king is coming and he's bringing a kingdom with him. Y'all remember what happened? Jesus gets in line. <laughs> Jesus gets in line with the prostitutes and the adulterers and the thieves and the liars. And John sees who's in line and John says, uh-uh, no, you need to baptize me. And, and, and Jesus says, and look, 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 John, just, just go with the script. <laughs> just go with the script. Just, just do it. It's, this needs to happen. So, John does it. He baptizes Jesus. But, but don't miss it. Don't miss it. Here's the witness. But God wants to make it clear that this isn't just another sinner in that water. When Jesus comes up out of that water, what happened? The heavens were ripped in two and the Holy Spirit, a third person of the Trinity, descends in a bodily form like a dove and it, it touches him. It lands on him. But it doesn't stop there, does it? No, then his voice shows up out of heaven. We know who that is, don't we? That's God himself. And it booms over the wilderness. It says, there's some liars in that line. There's some cheats. There's some adulterers in that line. And I don't want my son to get mixed up with that crowd. I don't want you to think he's one of them. So here's what he says. This one. This one right here. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Nothing wrong with him. Amen? That's my witness of the glory of God. And then we see it at the transfiguration. A couple weeks ago, we, we went through that together, didn't we? The glory of God. The, the, the Jesus, instead of the heavens being torn, Jesus literally opens himself up. I imagine that was a relief for him. He'd been holding that in this whole time. And, 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 and he said, whew, here I am. And Peter's scared to death, and he says something stupid. He said, yeah, we, we'll, build a, we'll build a worship center for all three of you, for you and Moses and Elijah. 
Right? The glory of God, so then God has to fix it again. Here's the next witness. Cloud comes down. That's the whole, God himself in that cloud. And he basically says, shut up, Peter. <laughs> Dummy. No. This is my much-loved son. You listen to him and stop talking. Amen? And there's another witness, the glory of Almighty God. And then it says this, we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Oh, don't miss this last line, full of what? Grace and truth. Why is that important? You see that all over, by the way, in the description of him. Grace and truth. What is grace? Oh, the grace, aren't you glad our Savior is full of grace? <laughs> by the way, brother, so you, know what, you know why we need Jesus to be full of grace? Because he's also full of truth. Uh-huh. Anybody hear that today? Let me say that again. He's full of truth. You better be thankful that grace comes before truth. Amen? I don't think you're getting it. Let me say it this way. He's full of the truth about you. He knows you inside now. He knows if you've been bad or good. Even the kids will get that one. He does. He knows the truth. Listen, God's got enough on you to bury you. If, 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 if God put up on that screen today the list of my sins, I'd never be able to show my face in a church again. I'd have to leave Macon. But oh, let me tell you what, he'll never tell. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. What is that, preacher? That's the grace of Almighty God this morning. Amen? And that's the grace that we better have before the truth shows up. He is the grace of God that says, yeah, that's a, that's a mess of humanity. Dale told me one time years ago, I don't know if you remember this, Dale. We were down working in my basement together. We were talking about dying when it come our turn. He said, preacher, when I die, you just stand up there and tell everybody that's one messed up joker right there. <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> Ain't we? We're a bunch of messed up jokers, aren't we? We are a disaster. As they say in the South, we're a hot mess, right? But all for the grace of Almighty God. Amazing grace, how sweet is that sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. What do I see? I see the truth. But all oh, brothers and sisters, I see that truth through the lens of God's Grace through Jesus Christ. And that is the majesty of the incarnation. I'm so glad grace comes before truth. Amen. Give, that, give the Lord a hand for grace and truth this morning. I close with this, and we're going to stand here in just a minute. We're going to sing a, our beautiful invitation hymn for us to respond to what we've heard. Chesterton said this, for every glance you, you take at yourself, take 10 glances at Jesus. What do you see when you see him? You can sense the glory of God, even if you don't know him today yet. You feel it. It's real. Because of his spirit, it's in this room right now. You can almost Grab it. And it's what 
your heart has been longing for. It's what has driven you to the depths of sin and despair. And all of that has turned to gravel in your mouth. You know you were made for more. And it's His glory. And it's here. And you can have it today. What I got to do, preacher? Go back to the cross. See your sin. And Jesus on that cross. See his torn apart body jerked off of that cross, completely dead, lifeless. See him lovingly laid in a tomb. Three days later, see him burst forth in total victory. Fifty days later, see him ascend to the right hand of the throne of glory where he sits right now. And listen to me, and I'm done. Make no mistake about it. He is there right now. He's coming back. He's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back on a war horse. He's got a sword proceeding from his mouth, and his white robe is dipped in blood. You know whose blood that is? It's the blood of everyone who will not bow to him now. You will face him. And you will behold that glory. And that glory will destroy you forever. What do I do? You repent. You run to Jesus this morning. You run to the cross. You admit you are the truth, what he says about you. And then you grab a hold of the grace part and say, Jesus, you did that for me. I'll, I'll take it. I'll, re I'll receive you. I will turn away from my sin and I will follow you for the rest of my days. And the glory of God will be filled in you. And you will learn to stop chasing everything but that. Let's stand. God's speaking to your heart. You come forward. There's an old-fashioned kneeling bench and there's some, there's some tissues up here because you're going to need them. Amen, church? You're going to need them if God's speaking to your heart today. If he is, you come. And I, I promise you, someone will pray with you. Amen? Someone, so, someone will help you to repent. Let's do it. You're made for the glory of God. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the glory. Thank you for being who you are and what you are. Thank you for loving us and sending Jesus. We thank you for the, the mystery. I, I don't know how we missed him, but we did. He comes to his own people, and they loved him at first and hated him at the last, and we are no different. Oh, God, help us. Help us see Jesus in all of his glory. Help us experience your glory through your, your one and only unique son, Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. Fall on the grace of Jesus at the foot of that cross today. That you would change us from the inside out, which is the only response to that glory. Do it for yourself because you are worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as God has spoken to your heart today. We're going to sing a very true song. It's about you and it's about me. It's about grace and truth. God's speaking to you. Come on.